Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Oliveira McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. I'm your host, Urban Lee. Got my friend, Sarah, co-host. And our guest, Philip, with us today. Hi, Philip. Everybody, hey, Irvin, good to see you again. Hey, man, I'm excited to have you here so we can continue talking about the importance of God's love. And Sarah, as we always do, we want you to anchor us in a scripture. All right. Today we're coming from Psalms 109.26. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Mm, well, I think we all know the importance of God's love in our recovery. And we want our guest today to take away, and Philip, we want you to talk about the importance of knowing about God's love, understanding God's love, and then most importantly, applying it to our lives. So we want to get into a little bit of your testimony. Yeah. Uh, I know I've heard it and I'm excited for everyone else to hear. Yeah. Well, uh, it, uh, I'd like to say that it was a boring one up until I was about 21. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then it got a little bit more of a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't even drink until I was 21. But let's yeah. uh, go back. I grew up in a Christian home. Yeah. Uh, my father uh, was the elder at the church. My mom was a Bible study leader, a little bit different from somebody who right. ended up being an addict, mm -hmm. as well as somebody who didn't drink until they were 21. Yeah. Usually, once you hit that that threshold, it's you're in the single digits of a chance of becoming an alcoholic. Yes. Well, I'm an overachiever. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, little did I know that uh, growing up, I, I, you know, you're at church and you hear people's testimonies of what they overcame and this yeah. and that. And I sat there and I remember sitting in the audience going, man, I'm jealous of that. Yeah. What good work could I do for the gospel yeah. if I had a story like that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good gosh. Right. Be careful what you wish for because he, yeah. he, he knows the desires of your heart. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes he just gives them to you. That's and right. uh, so the 17 year old me who was uh, leading Bible studies, part of FCA and doing all that, mm -hmm. and he wouldn't have been proud of the 30 year old me. And yeah. being 43 now, I finally feel like he would be somewhat proud of who I've become. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I uh, I, I really look at it and say more of a miracle whenever it comes to testimonies these days. And I think we need to change the narrative on this yeah. is a person who has not faced the trials, yeah. okay. that, who has not faced the troubles mm -hmm. and those things that where God has protected them mm -hmm. in the spiritual warfare that we all face yeah. and that they can walk through life and say, I didn't have that same struggle. And yes, everybody has their mountains that they have to climb, but yeah. some of them are, are somewhat more detrimental than others. And that's what happened to me. And, and so okay. at 21, uh, after my baseball and sports career had all been hung up and I found a new team uh, that was always open and it was at the bar, whether it was for friends and, yeah. and going to school in the South. I went to Auburn and wonderful university and, uh, and but we really enjoyed getting out and, yeah. and, and partying and I found a home there. Yeah. And, uh, and ultimately, 
I, I remember the movie uh, Groundhog Day. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was very similar to that, okay. uh, to where every day for about 10 to 12 years, I woke up in the same places, mm. the same faces, yeah. and they were all just shadows of faces. Like, I don't remember many of them. Yeah. And ultimately, I really, I, I struggled with that. I had this internal battle that I knew it wasn't what I needed to be doing, but ultimately I knew that I had time. Yeah, you thought. Ah, down the road, I, I'm just yeah. having fun. It's my 20s, it's my early 30s, oh, yeah. it's yeah. it's this God, and then. God, I'm not ready yet. I, and, and, it, and, it, and the sad thing is, is like, I knew better. Yeah. I knew better yeah. and I, I knew my Bible, I knew this and but. Yeah, it, I needed to sow my wild oats yeah. type thing. It takes a lot of time to get from your head to your heart. Too. It does, yeah. and and to make it your own. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I think I'd lived a lot of my uh, my parents' faith early on, mm -hmm. and it and then it had to become my whenever it was time to become my own, yeah. the world started to win, and the secular world pursues the young adult better than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. better than the church better than some families mm -hmm. and uh, the world won for a short amount of time. And uh, and so at 33 years old, it was a warm night in November and uh, God sent me to jail that night. Yeah. And uh, a guy named Tiny, who was not that tiny, stole my chicken nuggets down in Lusterit. Yeah. And uh, I decided to make that my, uh, my rock mad, bottom. You trip. get to decide yeah. uh, kind of your rock yeah. bottom until there is no decision to be made and for yeah. six feet under. And unfortunately, if people in this world, sometimes that is their yeah. final resting place. But for me, uh, God, God sent Tiny into my life and said, he said, I'm going to give me your nuggets. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to gift cup my heart. And, and, uh, the next day I was in, uh, in, in a one-on-one -on -one session with a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. Yeah. Uh, I was drinking extremely heavily, uh, all day, every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's really not about the amount that you consume. And I, to the audience out there, if you're, if you're struggling with this and you stumbled across this, it's not about the amount it's about, the relationship and i think we're going to get into the love yeah. relationship that we talk later and yeah. uh if if i am honest with myself the biggest love relationship that i've ever had in my life was with alcohol wow and during that time where was the love of god and love of self back burner yeah back back, back burner god even before me mm -hmm. like and everybody says oh you've got to do it for yourself you've got to do it for yourself yeah. i was such in a dark place in those early stages of recovery that mm -hmm. i didn't think highly enough of myself or love myself enough yeah to actually do it for myself yeah i had to lean into in those early stages mm -hmm. the first second third stage of recovery yeah of that grief that you're going through because yeah. i had put to death okay. my alcoholism okay and I had to grieve that. Yeah. And there's five stages of grief. As as many of you know, we won't go through those now. You yeah. can look them up, Google it. Yeah. Five stages of yeah. grief. Yeah. But I was going through that. And I once I got to acceptance mm -hmm. of that grief, mm -hmm. I was abs I was able to love myself again okay. and be proud of myself and what I was doing and the journey I was on. But I had to have friends and family that were willing Mm -hmm. to do that, have the hard conversations, willing to do the things that uh, was pretty uncomfortable probably for them. Yeah, did you, so you said, let's go back a little bit. You said you knew about the love of God. Oh yeah. And so when did you 
get over that sin and that shame and start loving God again and loving yourself? What was the the order in the process? Of Man, that? I wish I, I I wish I could say it okay. it happened at a specific time. Mm-hmm. I'm st- I think I still deal with that. I think everybody still deals with it. You don't get to a point of like, hey, I crossed the finish line. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a constant race, and sometimes you're slowing down, sometimes you're speeding up. But for the uh, to really reengage and see the love of God again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to understand what unconditional love was and that um, all sin looks the same at the foot of the cross. If he died, if he died for one of them, he died for all of them. Uh, And and that is very clear uh, that he made that very clear. I either did it for none or I did it for all, nothing in between. And uh, and my sin was the same. And so I had to get to a point of saying uh, the shame that I have over my past is not worth what I have in my future. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I, w- I want to say this and I want to sit here for a second because this is so important. We were talking off camera about how alcoholism, drug addiction, sometimes it gets kind of like the, the dark sins or the, <laughs> the ones that people kind of look at you funny, especially sometimes in church setting. Yeah. We're just oh. being honest. So talk about how important it is to overcome that and that all sins are, as you said, at the foot of the cross is sin, sin. Yeah, uh, it's it's unfortunate because uh, alcoholism and drug drug addiction manifest itself in a very very public way. Yeah, very public way. Yeah. Much different than other sins. Yeah, that you can kind of go put in that back closet somewhere yeah, and yeah, go. Yeah. I deal with that on my own, and yeah. I don't need to bring that forward. But a lot of the times, because of the nature of alcoholism and drug addiction, mm-hmm. uh, it is a public manifestation of your sin. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, and a lot of the times that brings shame and guilt onto other people rather than just yourself. Yeah. And especially if you're in the throes of it, you don't understand the shame and guilt that you should be feeling yeah. Yeah. on this. Yeah. And that God can forgive you for that shame and guilt. So you haven't even gotten to the point of understanding the sin that you need to be forgiven for. Mm -hmm. But there's other people out there at the church level. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm talking about corporate church, not just specific churches and or pastors. But it's a conversation that needs to be had out there more and more that because I mean, there's numbers to where it says five to 10 percent of the public individuals yeah. struggle with alcohol alcoholism yeah yeah i mean I've, 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 yeah, we've, we, we've shared we, some we, numbers we, on this yeah, and we, we uh, we're talking about 25 million people yeah in the u.s yeah, yeah. and and those like that's are conservative that's right? conservative yeah. that doesn't count the wives the kids the moms the dads the best friends that are seriously impacted by yeah. this as well the church yeah. that is impacted because there's a level of shame and guilt that the church has felt because of this and has not asked for forgiveness in that because whenever you know that your body i mean it is it is across the board it isn't just like oh well just non-believers struggle with this yeah you know? it, it impacts everything and and so whenever you have a corporate church that says we don't have this issue and you do have that issue, then what does it do do to the body? The body doesn't want to bring it forward. They think that they're a pariah and they can't talk about that. But I think that it's becoming a little bit more open and not taboo to talk about it because of stuff like Beard of the Bible like this and and people willing to share their testimony and saying, hey, uh, I'm not alone. 
and yeah, there's I, others out there. Off camera, we were talking a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, just how sexual sin has come to the forefront of the Man. church, and that is being discussed, and not drugs and alcohol. It's kind of weird yeah. um, that that would be okay, but drugs and alcohol is not okay. Um, and so you were saying that it has a lot to do with the fact that members or people that run the churches are struggling with that. Yeah, I, I read a, a stat on, I think it was ChristianPost.com, and they were saying that they did a survey and 65% of pastors were struggling with some form of, of porn addiction. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a big number. But more and more, if you talk to guys, that's a, that's a problem. And then the other element of this was so surprising to me is that there are women Mm-hmm. who are struggling with porn addiction. And I think a part of that is it's much more prevalent now. They said the average age that one would get exposed is seven or eight yeah. versus, you know, when I was growing up, you couldn't get a Playboy magazine until you were like 18, 19 years. Unless you were at the neighbor's house underneath yeah, the yeah, bed yeah. going, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, but think about when you found it. It was later in your teens yeah. and you could yeah. kind of better digest it yeah. In, yeah. in a sense. So. I think that and again, though, that's all stuff that's done in the shadows. Yeah. Uh, whenever yeah. you talk about alcohol and drugs and all that, yeah. because you don't hear, oh, watch porn in moderation. Yeah. 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 Like you don't hear that, right? No, you don't, no. oh, have sexual sin in moderation. Yeah. But you hear, oh, well, if you drink in moderation, you're yeah. fine. Yeah. And you can do that. And there's some people that can, that can, can, do, that. That can do that. Yeah. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people where it just keeps growing and you have the allergy, which yeah. many people talk about, yeah. that you can't, that it's like somebody tossing you the keys to a Ferrari and saying, don't drive it. Yeah. Like that's what an alcoholic deals with on a daily basis. I'm, I'm thrilled to say that I'm a recovered alcoholic, yeah. not recovering, a yeah. recovered yep. alcoholic, because I've done the psychological work, the spiritual work and the journey on that to where, uh, the early stages of that, I didn't know that I had a problem. Yeah. So I didn't know to do anything. So I was unconsciously incompetent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I became consciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. I knew I had a problem, but I didn't know what to do about it. Then the largest stage was I became con- uh, consciously competent. Mm-hmm. The, that that stage and that's where you're really doing the work you're going to therapy you're getting in groups you're finding new nouns i'd like to say you if you're changing your nouns yeah. Yeah. the things that you used to love the places you used to love to go the people you used to lo- love yeah and i'm talking about like more of a philia love like yeah. brotherly love and, yeah, yeah. and uh, romanticized love yeah. uh, that you're changing your nouns your mm-hmm. people places things and ideas mm-hmm. as you start to change those in that consciously incompetent stage to where you have to think about it daily. We were talking about this earlier in the present and you're, you're in your recovery. Yeah. And then you get to your maintenance phase where it's the unconsciously competent. Yeah. And it took three or four years, maybe five years before I got there where it wasn't a a week, daily, weekly thought. It was like, I've recovered. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people, because we're in this now, now, now society, this, I got an instant like and this and this instant gratification. They, you want to be in the unconsciously competent phase Mm -hmm. quick. Malcolm Gladwell talks about this of saying the 10,000 rule, uh, hour rule until you're an expert in something. Yeah. That's five years, eight hours a day, five days a week. 
five years as a full-time job to become an expert in something. It's no different in recovery. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times we were talking about this as well. You know, we pray, we ask God, and we want God to do a lot of the work, but we are not willing to put in the work that you talked about. And one of the things that I kind of struggle with, and we've talked about this, is in 12-step recovery, sometimes there is, hey, I'm an alcoholic. And for me, when I would, was in those situations, I kept saying to myself, is that something that I want to reinforce yeah. to myself? I, I really did. I kept saying, nah, I don't. And when I recovered, I stopped saying that. And I say the same thing. I'm a recovered alcoholic because yeah. I'm not obsessing about it. I'm not thinking about it. It no longer controls my life. I walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Yeah. So I, I think to me, the importance of understanding when and how you recover is important. And I think the other thing that I got from what you were saying was the importance of patience. The Bible says love is what? Patient. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about a lot of different paths to recovery on this show. Um, the viewers know Irvin and I went to drug and alcohol treatment and it sounds like you did not. You I went did. straight. Oh, did, I did you? Yeah. Okay. We, I missed that. You, you went from, yeah. okay. I, I got uh, arrested then one-on-one -on -one, uh, counseling on a uh, weekly basis, then a group counseling okay. where it's the same people coming two yeah. times a week, two hours a day. I mean, yeah. two hours each time. And one was kind of like that share setting. One hour one was a share setting. Yeah. Hour two was a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. Amazing mm -hmm. guy. Ken O'Shan. Ken, if you're watching this, thank you. Uh, he would get into the psychology of yeah. addiction, okay. mm -hmm. uh, the chemical makeup of the brain and what that is. He, he really spoke about, a lot about REBT, rational emotive behavioral therapy. Many mm -hmm. times we think of activating events in our lives very irrationally, mm -hmm. very, very yeah, irrationally. And we have thousands of activating events every single day. Yeah. And if you irrationally think of those and, then, and don't let go of those, then they have consequences on your life. And there's the ABCs of that, the activating event, a belief system, a consequence, and then you have to disprove sometimes your that if your belief system is counteractive to your consequence, then you need to disprove it and get off the path. Mm -hmm. And so it's in, in, in Albert Ellis is the one that came up with this back in mm -hmm. the 60s. And he said in his first page of his book, he said, should a thief steal? Everybody says no, right? Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be called a thief if he didn't steal. That's REBT, mm -hmm. rationally looking at it. Yeah. And so many times we look at parents, we look at kids, we look at this and we get upset when they act their nature yeah. and are surprised when they are opposite of their nature. That's mm -hmm. what we should, we should be expected that people act their nature. Yeah. When you go home for Christmas and mother-in-law is crazy. <laughs> yeah, and she's always crazy. Why were you expecting her to be different? And it affected. It was an activating event that created a consequence in your life. Mm -hmm. And so he really. And I spent two years of going through that, and it's a, it's an in depth process. Mm -hmm. But it really helped change, uh, remap my brain. And we've talked about this, Irvin, of the oh, ruts yeah. that oh, you man. get in, and that rut that you get in your brain is repeated behavior over and over again, and it's actually a rut in your brain that doesn't fill in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why so many people in addiction, and if this is you out there, that fall back into the rut. And that's yeah. why it says, oh, I fell back in a rut. Yeah. And a rut can be good and bad. Yeah. Repeated behavior yep. creates pathways in the brain. And if you go back to drugs or alcohol, and that's why some a lot of the times you struggle with that, or people lose their life when they go back the second time yeah. and try to do so it. 
the right way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I tried that once and yeah. it didn't go well. And, and and finally on May 1st, 2013, I, 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 I became sober for the last time and had a wonderful uh, person that I uh, was an accountability partner that called me every night at nine yeah. o'clock and because nine o'clock was I was either going to be drunk or sober. Yeah. Like, and there yeah. was there was no it's starting at nine. I yeah. was either there. Oh. Called me every night for three months. Lance uh, did that. And it was uh, and I'd never let him down. That's awesome. And it, it taught me about ac accountability. Find somebody that you've never let down before. Mm -hmm. Ask them to go on the journey with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you've let down your parents or a sibling or a wife or somebody else, letting them down again, eh, yeah. like you'll say you're sorry. But if you find somebody new mm -hmm. that can really come along that accountability journey, then you can actually create something new there that actually you don't want to let that person down. And it creates yeah. a new journey for you. Well, talk about, you know, we talked earlier about your family and yeah. you come from a, a great Christian upbringing and yeah. background. Amazing. Talk about the importance of their love and support in your recovery. Yeah, well, and I know we want to talk a little bit about love and God's love in this. Mm -hmm. And it's such a broad spectrum term. Yeah, it's such a broad spectrum, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and you have, in fact, Hollywood and the world has has really talks about like this. Uh, romanticized love and seeing yeah. fireworks and all that. Yeah. And that's the, that's like 10% of what love oh, yeah. is. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, the Bible talks about four different key areas of love. Mm -hmm. uh, and one being the empathetic love that is naturally there between parents and their kids or mm -hmm. kind of the non-chosen people in your life. Yeah. That empathy type love that you are going to be there for them. Then you have the brotherly love. Yeah. Then you have the eros, the romanticized love. But the one that we all long for is the yeah. agape yeah. love. Yes. Yeah. Agape love of that yeah. unconditional love. And, yeah. and I have been fortunate enough not to just receive that agape love from a, a God, mm -hmm. but from an earthly father and mother yeah. that have been there for me and a sister that have gone on that journey with me mm -hmm. and uh, without judgment, yeah. with correction, yeah. but not judgment. Yeah. And there's times where we all need to be corrected. Oh, yeah. and, and I think that's what, as a society, mm -hmm. as a, a sect of that society is in addiction, mm -hmm. we need to be okay with being corrected mm -hmm. because we do need it. Mm -hmm. And uh, for families out there that are in that same situation where you're praying hard, I have a, a praying family yeah, and they were prayed hard for years. Yeah. And, but I'll tell you is if you're that family, yeah. keep praying, Yeah, understand that sometimes you need to love with the gospel before you correct with scripture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's and good. love with the gospel before you correct with scripture. Yeah. And I think the church needs to understand that as well. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to correct people with your scripture and with your Bible yeah. with people that don't believe in it. Yeah. And, and, we, it, and we, if you're doing behaviors that yeah. prove that you don't believe in it, then yeah. stop trying to correct with it. Just love with the gospel. Yeah. God said, he, he showed up and said, drink from the well of yeah. life. Yeah. I love you. I care for you. Now walk on the journey and then you can correct down the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But love I, with the gospel. It, it's interesting. I was with one of the pastors uh, at the church I go to and I told him, I said, one of the things I had to learn from my church is love and unity. Because one, if if you weren't, if you didn't believe like I believe, you didn't do all the things I thought you should be doing, then I wouldn't be unified with you. Yeah. Which meant what? I wasn't loving you. 
So I now try to practice starting from the place of love. Because if you start from that place of love and you demonstrate your knowledge, your understanding of God's love, and you show that to a person, then they're a little bit more apt to allow you when it is time to have courageous conversation or perhaps correct them on a behavior, then they're much more willing to receive it. Amen. And I, I've always said this is the three C's of confrontation, care, concern, and curiosity. Mm, yes. If you're not confronting somebody out of care yeah. because you care for them deeply and they yeah. know you care for them yeah. deeply, it's not just like, oh, I really care for them. Don't go fooling yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They know you care and you know you care. So yeah. care yeah. or concern. Yeah. Hey, I'm concerned. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, yes. you, you, your behavior has changed <laughs> yes. yeah. or I, I've known you for a while uh, and I uh, have not uh, seen this in, in yeah, before yeah, and yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. Could you help me understand yeah. or curiosity? Hey, you're hanging out with some people that I, yeah. I don't think you should be hanging yeah. out with your yeah. nouns. And I think those care, concern and curiosity should be circled around with your nouns, your people, yeah. places, things and ideas. Yeah. Uh, and whenever you have that, then you can confront with love, yeah. not out of confrontation. Yeah. Uh, and But so many people go into confrontation with a selfish inhibition yeah. or selfish conceit. And yeah. we know what the Bible says about that. Yeah. Like, don't, like, it's a reflection of God's love. Go out of care, concern, and curiosity for somebody when you confront. And we've talked about that on the show is um, if you have a loved one out there that really needs help in and you don't know what to do, approach them in love. And yeah. it just goes with God's love and what we're talking about today. Um, I'm curious to know, we talk on the show about what our rhythm of living is as a recovered person today. What do you do on a daily basis that um, keeps you sober and you know maintains that sobriety? Yeah, so for me, the rhythm, like I said, I'm in that unconsciously comp competent maintenance phase mm -hmm. uh, where I've changed my nouns like my people, my places, my things, my ideas, like, yeah. uh, and, and it wasn't just me changing that. It was, it was, is asking God to close doors. Yeah. Um, and not doing the same things that I used to do. The things that I thought I loved Yeah. in that groundhog day that I talked about yeah, earlier, man, man. like, and you go, man, I don't even remember those people, that girl's name. I don't yeah. remember, like, I'm like yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. Man, we used to go there and then oh, I spent this amount of money, this, this, it, like, that wasn't real love. That wasn't any of the no, four loves. That no. wasn't even a romanticized no, love. That was, it, it was just, you. it was a deceitful love. And, yeah. and, and who is the great deceiver? Satan will attack. Yeah. And he attacks you, making you think that you have love in your life when you don't. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I was able to change my nouns, my people, places, uh, ideas, and, and, and things that I do, all of a sudden, I didn't need to have that conscious every day like some organizations talk about, it's a daily discipline. Yeah. I, once I was able to actually be healed, then I could actually start surrounding myself with people, places, things, and ideas that that, that do that. And and it's not about, and, and this Ken, uh, my counselor said this, he said, hey, it's not about just turning away from something bad. No. It's running towards something good. Yeah. There's a void that you are creating in your life, that that love that you have for alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be. And for me, it was alcohol. It was always there, whether I was sad, happy, 
depressed, yeah. anxious, bored, whatever. It was always there. You could always find the bottom of a bottle. Like, man, can, can and it was not. always a love. And so that love ended up, um, I had to, like I said earlier, put it to death yeah. and, and have the, and go through that grieving process. And no different than like when you lose a loved one, eventually, once you've gotten through the grieving process, do you have to grieve them every day? No, no. no. You, you, do you, you, you eventually get past and you get to the memories of them and you think of them in a different light once you've got through the grieving process. And so that's the way I approached kind okay. of uh, in the five, seven year process okay. of really becoming healed. And I think 10 years from now, I'll probably have a different perspective of that, of going of, of a maturation of that. Yeah. Uh, but being nine, nine and a half years sober now, and uh, it's not a daily. Yeah. And, and rhythm, I, I, I should I, say. I think that's important, and we've got a few minutes left, yeah. and I'm going to ask both of you guys this question because we haven't touched on this. Uh, as we talk about God's love, talk briefly about overcoming the fear associated with getting sober and staying in recovery. Go for it. Oh, that was a big one for me. I couldn't, um, until, like you said, put it to death. I had to put my vodka bottle to death yeah. and realize that that was becoming my God mm -hmm. um, and that I would not be able to drink anymore. That was the biggest fear because drinking was very social to me. Yeah. It was very much a part of my work, my rhythm of living at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it involved everything in my life. My family would drink it at, at all the different occasions. Yeah. And so I had a fear of kind of like being exposed for who I was without yeah. that crutch of the alcohol. And yeah. so um, for me, it was, a, I had to go to treatment like I've, I've talked about, but I had the big burning bush experience where I found God's love and he filled every aspect of my soul with mm -hmm. what alcohol was feeling at the time. And so that love just gave me a passion and a fire to do this thing called recovery um, and want more and more and more and more. And so that's kind of, that's kind of how I overcame it in the Show. Yeah. Okay. I think for fear for me, it was really uh, alcoholism manifests itself is a, the sin. One of the sins that manifests itself in a very public way. Yeah. Um, uh, and so whenever you finally get to the point of saying, I need help, that's like saying to the world, not just your family or somebody else is like, I can't control my sin. Anymore. Yeah. And I think that was the fear for me of going like, I do, because we have such control over our lives. Let's yeah. put quotes over that, yeah. the societal control over our lives. And, and we're told that we need to control that and this, and, and, and that's the self-discipline is something that's promoted. Yeah. And by saying that you need help or that you can't control something is a weakness. Yep. Mm -hmm. What I found is that the strength of my faith was found in my weakest moment yep. mm -hmm. and uh, of going, hey, whenever you say I can't do this anymore, yeah. then all of a sudden the fear kind of disappeared. And then whenever you start, you share openly mm -hmm. um, about your struggle, you find people that actually help build up that strength that you need yep. and yeah. your fear dissipates. Yeah. Because people say, man, I'm really proud of you. I could never do what you're doing. And yeah. you're like, yeah. wait, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> that you're, you're so proud of me. And, and you guys did a, a really good job of summarizing what we were talking about today. And I want to just recap. Um, the Bible says that God's perfect love cast out fear. And when the Lord showed me that verse in the midst of my addiction, 
that is truly when I started mm. to say, oh man, God's not mad at me. God can restore me. God can resurrect me. And that's when I started to not just know, as we talked about earlier, but understand, and most importantly, apply that to my daily walk because I always felt like I had to earn his love. Yeah. Well, it's agape, mm. it's unconditional love. So we want you guys to know that out there. And we thank you for joining us today. But before we leave, we wanna remind you, please like, share, comment. If you wanna support the show, you can do so at our new website, frombeertothebible.com. May God bless you. Bye guys. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.